0: Log Talk Radio.
1: This is Know It All. Welcome to Know It All, the ABCs of Education. A big thank you again to D.C. high school student Trayvon for our theme music. We aim to make you, our listeners, know-it-alls about education law, policy, and practice that affect you. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern or at any time from your computer at blogtalkradio.com slash know-it-all. Today's show is a featured show on the Blog Talk Radio website. Be sure to follow us at blogtalkradio.com. I'm your host, Allison R. Brown of Allison Brown Consulting, ABC. I'm a civil rights attorney with a focus on equity in public education. Keep up with me on my website at allisonbrownconsulting.com. Know It All is sponsored by The Root DC, part of the Washington Post family. The Root DC focuses on news for and about African Americans in the DC region. Today, we're talking about school safety Jim Eichner is the Managing Director of Programs at Advancement Project, a multiracial civil rights organization that develops and inspires community-based solutions to civil issues. Advancement Project recently released A Real Fix, The Gun-Free Way to School Safety, a school safety report and safety plan that does not include guns or police. Good morning, Jim. Welcome.
0: Thank you, Allison. Thank you for having me.
1: But will you first tell us about Advancement Project? What is it and what do you do?
0: Sure. Um so as you said, we're a multiracial civil rights organization and we were founded in nineteen ninety nine by by lawyers from the civil rights movement and we consider ourselves a next generation civil rights movement, and one of the ways um we do that is we focus not just on litigation but on advocacy and policy and more importantly Um, We work with community groups, with grassroots groups around the country to provide them with legal and policy assistance to make change in their communities. And since our inception in 1999, we have been part of a movement to dismantle what we call the school to prison pipeline, which is to stop uh, overly harsh discipline practices and instead have common sense discipline that nurtures and supports our children and we have worked since the inception of this movement with youth parents and local groups that have been leading this movement and uh making change in their community.
1: Excellent. So will you tell us about a real fix and and uh advancement project school safety plan? How did it come about and what does it entail?
0: Yeah. Um I mean I think it it came about in a couple ways. Um one was just um our uh, anger at the way the debate, the post-Newtown debate went um, in terms of uh, school safety. Uh, a bunch of people at Advancement Project were watching the NRA's press conference, and we just couldn't get over um, that their solution to everything was more guns. Let's put more guns in the hands of teachers and students and faculty and uh, you know, armed guards, and I mean, it was just uh, every, there's that old saying when, you know, all you have is a hammer, everything's a nail. When you're the NRA and you have guns, that's the solution to everything. Um, And so we were horrified by this desire to put guns everywhere, Um, and we were really concerned when we saw even you know, people who we think would be good on this issue, like Senator Boxer, uh, talk about putting the National Guard in the school. And um, we just thought that it was amazing that, that the NRA was being allowed to speak uh, about schools. I, I don't know what place the NRA has in talking about schools. And so we appreciated that um, a lot of education groups came out strongly against having armed teachers. but. Um, we thought that the reaction on police was not as strong, and one of the things that I think is most critical and what we, a gap we wanted to fill is there was a surprising lack of talking to communities and particularly students. I mean, it's supposed to be students that we're trying to keep safe, and no one seemed to be talking to our youth about what made them feel safe. And so we started thinking about that, and around the same time, um, there was a a group of youth of color who were getting together, um, called the Youth Justice Coalition, or led by the Youth Justice Coalition, that put together, um, was sort of thinking about the same thing, and put together a statement um, by youth, from youth, uh, particularly youth of color, about. Why they didn't want more guns in their school, and they have this great slogan, "You can't build peace with a piece." And they started, um, they started wanting to organize around that. And we started talking to them, and we were under the impression that the NRA was going to issue a new report um, around April 1st, um, on April Fool's Day. Uh, they wound up, I guess, realizing that that was a bad idea and doing it a few days later. Um, but the this um, youth. Group started organizing and started to do decide they were going to do a week of action um, in the first week of April and have youth around the country talk about this issue and explain why they didn't want um, police in their schools. And so we started working with them and wanted to support them in that effort. And we had already issued an issue paper uh, with some other groups about why p- guns and police in schools were not the answer. Um, But we also started to realize that, you know, people were scared after Newtown and people wanted to do something. And, you know, the NRA had sort of filled that need for people to do something. And we saw legislators around the country responding to that and deciding that the way to do things was to put more guns in schools and more armed guards in schools. And so we felt like we needed to... First of all, explain more why that was a bad idea, but more importantly, give uh, an alternative uh, to that, a, an alternative uh, to a school safety plan that wasn't focused around guns, and more importantly, explain why putting armed guards um, would not feel would not make kids safe, that it would give the illusion of safety, but to talk about the things that we think would really make kids safe. So that's how it came about.:
1: Okay. And you and I have talked a lot about um, ending the school-to-prison pipeline, and and Advancement Project has the ending the schoolhouse to jailhouse track um, program there. Um, how how does this school safety plan relate to the school-to-prison pipeline, and, and specifically, why is it important to talk about alternatives to putting more guns and police in schools?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think you know the it's no accident that this movement, um, you know, started around 1999 that was in the wake of Columbine. And what we saw in Columbine is you had, you know, two students in a suburban Denver school, um, you know, sh- uh, go on a rampage. And even though there were police at Columbine who weren't able to stop it, um, People decided that the that the solution was zero tolerance to sort of crack down on kids, treat them like criminals, and also to put more police in schools. But um, what happens is when shootings happen in white suburban schools, the police wind up in the urban schools. So there was this a thing in there was a sh- the uh, shooting in Columbine, but it was in Denver where all the police. Uh, went And so it's no accident that one of our earliest partners was a uh, a group of parents and students in, in Denver who started to see police in their schools. And, you know, fortunately, our schools are safe. And, nine, you know, 99.9% of schools have never had a shooting. And so if you put police in school, they don't have much to do if all they're going to do is, stop school shootings because, fortunately, they are so rare. So instead, what we saw is that police started to become involved in disciplinary rules and enforcing the kind of minor um, disciplinary rules that, when we were kids, led to a trip to the principal's office, uh, started to lead to kids being arrested because when you put police in schools, they do what they do, which is arrest people. And so, for example, in Florida in 2010-2011, over 16,000 kids were referred from schools to the juvenile justice system, which is like 45 kids a day. Can you imagine the outflow of kids into schools and into the prison system? That's the the school-to-prison pipeline. And... It's not like these kids were being arrested for things that would be crimes out in the real world. They were being arrested for things like disruption of a school function or disorderly conduct, which it's really kind of hard to imagine what that is in a a school uh, setting. I mean, kids are kids, and I have a 6- and 8-year-old. They're disorderly a lot. Uh, They talk back. (laughs) They don't like quiet. They, you know, they throw food. Sometimes they, you know, they wrestle, um, you know, and those things used to be considered a, and are age-appropriate behavior, and the kind of thing which you used to scold them for or send them to the principal's office. Um, instead, kids were getting arrested for, and um, we've also seen younger and younger kids. Um, there was a, there have been a number of cases lately of, you know, kids as young as five being arrested for, for throwing tantrums. Uh, In Connecticut, 86 primary students were arrested uh, one year, including 13 in grades three or below. Um, So this is a terrible problem, and it's not uh, an equal problem. As I said, you know, suburban schools have these shootings, but the police wind up in urban schools, and there are huge racial disparities. Schools that have more African-American students ha- are more likely to have police, are more likely to have zero tolerance, and as a result, um, we see huge racial disparities in arrests across the country. I, I have a couple statistics here, um, but basically it's, it's surprisingly, basically, three and a half, uh, black students are three and a half more, times more likely than whites to be arrested. That seems to be sort of the standard thing. We, uh, we have some statistics from Delaware, from Philadelphia, it's all about the same. And it's not that the kids uh that the white kids are doing less uh serious things it's they're getting you know treated differently for the same crime and you know there's we can have a whole other discussion about um you know stereotypes about black students and implicit bias and and all that that's probably another show but um but that's you know that's kind of what happens and I mean the last sort of fact I'll throw in is there's a great study. Um, that's cited in our issue brief, uh, they looked at three Massachusetts jurisdiction school districts, that had basically the same uh, demographics. One of them had a police station on the campus. One had, a, had police ready, uh, you know, on a rotating basis as needed, and one had no police. And um, basically the more, you know, the ones with the police stationed in schools had the most arrest, The ones with police sort of there intermittently, uh, had the middle, and the ones without police had the less rest, which is sort of common sense. If you put police in school, they 're going to um, arrest kids and and, and so that 's why you know I can talk more about the the specifics of our safety plan, but one of them is school discipline reform because it's important that you keep kids in school and not kick them out because you know a very important part of um, school safety is school climate.
1: You know, I recently saw um, the police chief from Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, Chris Burbank, speak on exactly this topic, and he was talking about implicit bias in policing, Um, and he said, you know, where you put police, you will have arrests. So if you put a group of narcotics officers in a certain neighborhood, then you will see a spike in narcotics arrests and then we make the logical leap that there is a drug problem in that neighborhood because you've put the police there and there are arrests there, but if you don't put police in a situation, there won't be arrests. And then we're not allowed to make that logical leap that there is a a drug problem or um, a criminal problem in schools um, if, if the police aren't there in the first place. Um will you talk specifically about some of the components of your school safety plan in addition to to student discipline and um you know what what are some of the alternatives to guns and police in school Yeah
0: I would I'd be glad to So I think you know um what's gotten a lot of focus in in the wake of uh Newtown is building security and that's certainly part of our plan but Um, The bigger part of the plan and the more important is prevention, Um, and because, you know, Newtown is a a shooting that happened in school, not a school shooting in the Columbine or in other places where someone connected to the school, um, you know, got some kind of grievance or um, had some kind of concern about the school and, you know, took it out in a violent way. Um, but that's the more typical case, right? The more typical case is a student uh, who is in the school, you know, having problems and acting those problems out in the school. And so when you think about that, um, you know, prevention is, is really key. Um, and so the most important way we think to, for that kind of prevention is to make sure that kids feel connected to their school. Um, both kids who could be disaffected and other kids who may know that kids are being disaffected. There's a, a great study that the Secret Service did where it found that basically there was someone in every school, every time there was a school shooting, there was someone in the building who knew that that student was, you know, was up to something that was a problem. And the problem is that kids didn't feel connected enough to the adults in the building to do something about it. And so... I think one of the most important messages we would say is that, you know, rather than if you have resources for school safety, hire more counselors or social workers or make sure that there are more caring adults that, you know, in terms of the amount of safety you will get for your budgetary dollars in these tough budget climates, um, having more adults for kids to talk to is really the key. And I think some people have sort of made this argument that the police can fulfill that function under this notion that the police are sort of this very, you know, the school police are these sort of social workers and law enforcement all wrapped into one. But I think that's an unrealistic view. I mean, first of all, in communities of color, police are not really seen often as the most friendly people to talk to. Um, And, you know, if you want, if the object is to have someone who's good at connecting with kids, then hire a social worker or a uh, counselor, and, you know, we've seen in places where that has made a difference in helping kids feel connected and in bullying. And so not only is it great for safety, but um, you get all these other benefits of having counselors in schools to do other things as opposed to having a, you know, police officer sit at your entry day after day and not do anything. So I think people have to think about the trade-off between the two. so that's kind of one aspect. Uh, another prevention that people don't think about so much is having an engaging curriculum, right? You want kids to feel interested in school and connected to their school. And, you know, we can talk again uh, in another day about high stakes testing and teaching to the test, but, you know, the narrowing of our curriculum has not exactly helped in people being um, engaged. And then, you know, as we said, you need to reform discipline policies, um, but we're not talking about getting rid of. Discipline. What we're talking about is using common sense discipline, and to have discipline be what it should be, which is education rather than punishment. And so, you should use when kids misbehave as a way to teach them uh, to, to behave, and uh, you know, teach them, do things like social emotional learning and positive behavior interventions and support. Um, and perhaps most importantly, teach them about conflict resolution. I mean, a lot of these school incidents are, are are basically unresolved conflicts. Either there's bullying or there's a dispute between kids, and that's what leads to these problems. And so if we can give our kids the tools to, um, you know, respond appropriately to conflict, to to increase their ability to deal with disappointment or frustration or all those kind of things, that's really important. So the prevention piece is not can't be, um, you know, uh, can't be stressed enough. And and one point within that I want to stress is, you know, I think one of the most interesting things about our, um, our school safety plan is that we talk to a lot of youth and we talk to them about, you know how what would make them feel safer and not only did they not talk about police but they talked about these kind of things in terms of engagement and wanting to feel connected you know kids told us that the administration never talked to them unless they were in trouble or that the you know there was basically no interaction between them and their administration, and there was no interaction between the parents, and so, you know, engaging kids and making them part of the process, the discipline process, as you think about school safety, talking to kids and parents about police, I think, is, is all part of this prevention, and it'll also get, you know, students to tell you if there's a problem. So the prevention is much the bigger piece, and I think, you know, people see that as kind of Soft and mushy, but it's really not. I mean, the Secret Service is not really a mushy organization, and they <laughs> highlighted that as the most important uh, thing. And and you know, there's no um, there's no evidence that having armed police in school actually stops school shooters. And you know, there's anecdotal cases like Columbine, like other places where there were police and they didn't stop the shooting. So um, so that's. That's sort of the prevention piece. But then, you know, we also talk about building security. And I think the key is um, in our report there's a discussion with a private school uh, administrator, you know, a a fancy school where the kids, where the parents are active consumers of their school. And he says, you know, look, we, we have to give security, but we can't have our school look like a prison. We'll lose who we are and the parents won't put up with it. So if that's true of our fancy private schools, why why would, should we give our public school kids or our inner city kids or our poor kids or our students of color less than that? So I think what you want to do, and I've noticed this in a school that my kids go to, is you want to do things that provide security without making school seem like a prison. And so there's some common sense things you can do, um, you know, locking classrooms, uh, locking schools, and giving... You know, teachers, the ability to lock their classroom doors, um, you know, we've seen in shootings has sort of mitigated the the danger of having a shooter um, controlling entry, having a way that you can verify visitors, tag visitors, escort them. Um, all of those things are common sense kind of things, but don't make kids feel like they're going to prison. Another important thing is just having good communication between different parts of the building so that, you know, if something does happen, um, there can be appropriate um, steps taken. And, and one thing, you know, all of these things should be part of sort of a global security plan and a crisis plan and a safety plan. Which should engage lots of stakeholders, and there's more details about this in our report. But you know that plan can not only be used for you know a, something like Newtown, but it can be used for a hurricane or a flood or whatever is the you know potential disaster in your community. So these kind of communications and having being prepared are very important. Having everyone know what they're going to what they're supposed to do, having shelter in place, having lockdown drills without scaring young kids, all of those things are important. So I think, you know, our our sort of plan is heavy, is heavy on prevention and then some common sense building security kind of things, and most importantly, engage the community and um, figure out what makes the kids feel safe and the parents safe. And, you know, we have to avoid things that make us feel safe or give the appearance of safety. I think that's kind of one of the reasons that we've seen police everywhere is, you know, having a police officer makes people feel better even if it doesn't actually solve the problem. Mm-hmm.
1: You, you've talked about the um, NRA, the National Rifle Association, and their their school safety plan and and um you know it's been revealed that there were some some serious inaccuracies in that report um but they i think they've been very effective at cultivating this mindset that you know the the prevention things that you're talking about are you know soft and fluffy as you said and and uh, you know I want protection right now and I want it um to be strong and I want it to stop whatever comes through the door Immediately, and that has to be in the form of guns i don't care who's holding the gun, uh, but I want someone in the building um, or someone's in the building to have the the ability to stop in their tracks anyone that's coming in to threaten my children um, how How is advancement project within your mission of you know informing and empowering communities, how are you empowering communities to counteract that rhetoric and mindset?
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I mean one of the things I think the NRA, you know, I don't know whether they did this intentionally or not, but they came out so strongly on sort of arming teachers and uh, you know, basically just arming every adult in the building. I said arming students before, that was a little bit of an exaggeration, but arming every adult in the building, um, so then when then arming having Armed guards having police became kind of like the middle ground, right that became like the reasonable alternative, so that was a effective positioning and and we've been trying to sort of push back on that but I mean we've done a few things um I think you know one of the things is try and get youth voices out there because I think i mean I would hope that if you know that that Districts would um, listen to their community and their students before they, you know, went this route of armed guards. We've tried to point out the budgetary impact and the trade-off. I mean, if, if people have lots of money for education, which, which, you know, ironically, over the last few years, there's been budget cuts upon budget cuts, but suddenly people can find money to hire police, um, we 've tried to sort of make the point that there are things you could do with that money that would be better ways to spend the money like counselors and social workers, and at least allow um, you know communities to decide which of which what they want and to have the option rather than insisting that they have police. Um, I think you know we have tried to work with our community partners and a lot of our community partners have been working on this issue in the ground unfortunately there's been not just you know discussion at the national level but um discussion at the local level about about more guns in schools and so we put together like a number of resources for people on this um not just these reports we've done which provide a lot of the ammunition for why it's not a good solution but also um, we we've, things we've done with our partners, letters, that um, fact sheets, those kind of community resources that have kind of national arguments but can be adapted for local um, places. And if I could, i up put, put a little plug in for that resource. Um, we have a website, which is called safequalityschools.org, safequalityschools, one word, .org. And on there, we have a, a resource page of police in schools, which has some of the letters that we, some of the resources that we've um, put together for people, and so people can check those out in addition to our safety plan and our, um, our issue um, brief. But I think, you know, it's really important that, um, that communities organize around this issue and talk to school administrators about why they don't want police in schools and what they want the money um, spent on.
1: Um, In the last few minutes that we have, I wonder if you'll talk a little bit more broadly about Advancement Project and the work that you're doing. The organization has really been at the cutting edge of um, this modern-day civil rights movement that we're seeing in many things, including education. Um, I've been hearing about your action camp. Can you talk about what that is and, and other things that we can look forward to seeing from the organization? Sure,
0: I'd be glad to. So this past uh, weekend in New Orleans, we had um, Action Camp. And so we've, we've had sort of two versions of Action Camp. Um, we did uh, four Action Camps in 2012 in which um, we brought in people from around the country, a lot of youth uh, and grassroots organization, and talked to them about the school-to-prison pipeline and, um, and, you know, how it might be impacting their community and gave them sort of the resources to know uh, how to push back and connected them with people from other communities who are doing other work. And we had workshops on things like communications and organizing and how you use data uh, and those kind of things. And we had about 600 people attend our four action camps in 2012 And so um, there was a clamor to do more, but we also, there was a clamor to um, give groups that have been working on this issue some more advanced tools. So we, along with a bunch of community partners who we do these with, like Dignity in Schools and GSA and AEJ and a lot of the groups that work around these issues and many more who I can't name off the top of my head, um, put together what we called Action Camp 2.0, which was sort of an advanced version of Action Camp where we help people design really kind of sophisticated campaigns to do um, work in their in their um, community. And so um, we're going to have another Action Camp 2.0 in Denver at the end of June. So if anyone out there has been working on this issue and is interested in attending, they can go to our website, uh, org and check that out. Um, but more globally um you know we um sort of prior to Newtown, we were kind of chugging along um uh the executive director of our organization, Judith Brown dianis, uh testified at the first ever Senate hearing on school discipline reform, and there seemed to be a huge consensus that zero tolerance, um which we i think succeeded in make a dirty word. Is a bad thing for kids, and that there should be reform to discipline and common sense discipline um, and so we've gotten a little um, knocked off stride, and we worry a little bit about retrenchment because of Newtown. I think we had pretty much um, convinced people that police in school um, were a bad idea because of the discipline conference uh, consequences, and now we're having to do a little um, you know we've lost a little ground on that, although um, in places where there are police, we've focused very heavily on making sure that those police are not involved in discipline and that they're only doing um, that they 're only there to protect the safety of kids and therefore that they're only getting involved when there's a threat to safety and um, you know we think that no police is the right answer because having police there necessarily leads to these problems and um, also, one thing we worry about is as police get hired quickly in places, we worry about their training and the quality of them. There have been a couple incidents, like a police, off, a school resource officer who got hired post Newtown, leaving his gun um, in the bathroom where a kid found it, and another incident where, some, where a school resource officer discharged their gun in a school. So, you know, it makes us wonder whether the one time they may stop a shooting is worth the danger of having more people with guns in schools. Um, But in places where there are police, we've worked hard with community groups to get um, memorandums of understanding in place that that make sure that the police are limited to only what they should be doing. Um, In Denver, Colorado, which is you know where this all started post-Columbine, our community partner Padres uh, and the school district and the police just entered into a memorandum of agreement that we think is a model for the nation that has been that the Department of Education and the Department of Justice has been very interested in and that I think will be replicated in other places that really does limit um, the role of police and explicitly has a focus on race and eliminating racial disparities which is I think the the huge nut that has not been cracked in discipline, Um, even in places that are doing better on discipline, we still see racial disparities, and we see them despite the conduct, so that's still an area that we and others need to work on more, Um, so we're doing a lot of work around that, and then we're also doing school discipline reform in a lot of communities, and um, in the next couple days, we hope that a big school district will pass a very progressive and very good reform to its uh, to its code of conduct, which I feel like I shouldn't talk about until it's a done deal, um, both because it's not public and also because I don't want to jinx it. But um, keep your eyes open in the next few days for that. And again, it, um, as with all of the victories in this movement, it was a result of a community group um, getting together and engaging their school system and insisting that discipline serve the students, and as a result, um, I think that will be soon to be held up to uh, a model in terms of reforming the code, and then many other communities are working in these multi-stakeholder collaboratives pioneered by Judge Teske in Clayton County um, to get all of the stakeholders together and try and stop the criminalization of our kids and the pushing of kids out into the criminal justice system by having appropriate rules on police and on discipline. So I think there's, you know, exciting progress in places, and we're trying to work with our community partners to have it spread in more places, and we just hope that the, you know, that parents' rightful concern about their kids' safety doesn't cause a, um, a retrenchment and a loss of the progress we've made on this issue.
1: And yeah, you know, I think the the point that you made is is so important about the momentum that we had before Newtown. And you know, we've learned many lessons from the civil rights movement of the '60s and and Brown v. Board and the strategy that that resulted in the Brown v. Board um, ruling from the Supreme Court. And one of those lessons is that you know the law is one thing, and that's very important. And you know, as a lawyer, I think that the law is very important, and litigation yeah. and being in court is important. But that's only one very small piece of how we're going to change things. And um, changing mindsets is critical. And your work with communities, advancements work with communities and students, is one way to really. To, to do that, and that's that's how we ended up with the the Civil rights Act of nineteen sixty four It wasn't because the federal government woke up one day and said, "You know I think this would be a good idea, but it was when there was grassroots movement to push them in that direction um that they they caved and and went with what the communities told them to do, so I think it's really important to note that um you know there has been this movement building and and it it has come you know in some ways to a screeching halt after Newtown um and you know the the first ever hearing on student discipline and racial disparities in student discipline and zero tolerance happened on December 12th 2 days before Newtown um, took place on December fourteenth so you know we um i I do think it's it's critical for listeners to understand that you know there there is a movement and that that you know it is building and that we can continue the momentum that that had been generated before newtown um Can you let people know if they want to themselves as communities or students or parents or even educators? implement in their schools the Advancement Project School Safety Plan? How do they find that? How do they get help with that? Um, How do they reach out to you to do that?
0: Yeah, we would be glad to help, um, you know, anyone who's interested. So people can go to our website on School Discipline, which again is safequalityschools.org, and on there you'll see things generally about discipline. You'll see things about police in school. Um, people can also look for our action camp and join that. Um, people can also just reach out to Advancement Project generally or email me. I'm at jayichner, E-I-C-H-N-E-R, at advancementproject.org. Um, you know, we've been working with um, lots of organizations. And, you know, I'll put in one more plug for those who are semi-local to the D.C. area, um, I was actually uh, on the day of the Newtown shooting in a, in a big conference in Baltimore, or uh, in Maryland, outside of Baltimore, um, talking about statewide reform to the Code of Conduct of Maryland that they're working on, and there are regulations in the works, and we hope that's going to be a model for sort of statewide discipline. There's been statewide reform in Colorado but for those listeners who live in maryland um, there's a regulation out there that um, that that the state has been behind and trying to support and there 's been some opposition and it 's in a little bit of it 's been delayed a little bit and so you know if you live in Maryland and you think that school discipline reform is a good thing, um, you can also reach out to us and we can put you in touch with people who can give you an avenue to um to, to share your thoughts or we can pass along the information of how you can comment to the state on the, the regs. I think, you know, there's debates on this issue going on across the country, both on police and on discipline, and, you know, I would encourage every parent to take a look at their, the discipline code for their district and see whether they think it makes sense. Um, and one way to do that, when I meet with kids, the first thing I ask them is, what's the stupidest rule in your school? And, you know, sometimes the rules that they think stupid are actually probably good rules, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. you know, you have to be to class on time. That's probably a good rule. We can discuss what the punishment should be. But a lot of times they'll tell you, well, um, you know, uh, recently someone told me you're not allowed to wear the same – you have to wear the same color socks as shoes, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have to think about, like, why are, why are some of these rules in place, and are we burdening our kids with these rules? And – what's the consequence for that? you know I think um, if someone's late to class and you tell them they shouldn't do it, and there's consequences if they do it a bunch of times, but you know there are places where kids are being suspended or even um, you know arrested for dress code violations, and so you know I think every parent should be a consumer of their kids' discipline code um, you know I think in lots of places, kids aren't being criminalized the way we're talking about, but Think about what your kids are being taught about the rules and whether, you know, discipline is being handled in a way that's educational rather than punitive. And I think everyone should, you know, be a be an engaged parent or consumer of their community's school.
1: Jim Eichner is the Managing Director of Programs at Advancement Project, which recently released a real fix, The Gun-Free Way to School Safety, a school safety report and safety plan that intentionally does not include guns or police. Thank you so much for
0: joining me today, Jim. Thank you, Allison.
1: You are now officially certified know-it-alls on keeping schools safe without guns or police. Remember to follow Know-It-All, the ABCs of Education, on Blog Talk Radio. Follow me at Allison R. Brown on Twitter. Find ABC on Facebook and read my blog at allisonbrownconsulting.com. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful week.